This can be played at high volume. Live and local. This is the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you You better get ready. Yeah! Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now. Let's do it. I'm ready. Let's do it. Welcome back, beautiful people. It is a tremendous Saturday morning for a lot of different reasons. I think the biggest reason of them all for me is also I'm here with you. It's Easter weekend, and we are officially in spring football mode, and I am so doggone happy. Opening night tonight, I am just over. Again, if you know me well enough, you've listened to me ramble on for hours and hours and hours on end you know how hype i get for one thing and one thing only it is without a doubt pro wrestling and spring football hell football in general i get hyped about but i think there's no doubt in my mind i am over the moon excited to talk about some spring football because one we actually are getting some starting today with the usfl they're actually making strides to making the game better. They're actually going to have – I'm amazed the NFL doesn't just try and expedite this, you know, express lane style, putting together the setup to actually have – not have to worry about a chain gang in the NFL ranks. The way they have that thing set up to where it'll be able to measure a first down marker. The way they have that set up is fantastic. I love the way everything is going to look. And it all starts tonight with a supercast of the Generals taking on the Birmingham Stallions for the first time. And God knows how long the USFL is officially back and better than ever. And of course, there is a team that we can pull for. There's a team that you can root for. I know I sure will. I like how I was rooting for those Houston Roughnecks, those that Houston program for the XFL 2.0, which we'll talk about shortly. The XFL is going to be coming back in 2023, but 2022, the team that you are going to be following, you're going to be hanging your hat on, has to be those New Orleans Breakers. They'll take on the Philadelphia Stars. Cannot wait for that contest. Another notable game, I think Houston Gambler is taking on the Michigan Panthers, led by Jeff Fisher. They won't go 7-9 because they don't have that many games in a regular season. They don't have that many teams to actually be able to pull that off. But it's going to be an amazing spectacle nonetheless this weekend. A perfect way to start off spring football. And for degenerates like yours truly, the world-famous CD, I am all the way here for it. Will the games be relatively bad in terms of the quality of play? There's a distinct possibility. But I'm still going to wind up watching it because I am craving some amazing football. Spring football is coming back. It's something that I want to see more of. And I wish we could have had an opportunity to see more of from the XFL 2.0. And we're getting that much closer to the XFL 3.0 with the tutelage of The Rock taking over. I know it doesn't jazz as many people up as it does for yours truly. Because again, I-L-O-V-E, the sport of football. 
But when the XFL starts up in 2023, this is going to be the place to be. I am just counting down the days. I think I'm counting down the days even more so because of one name in particular that I heard pop up as a new head football coach in the year of our Lord 2023, Jim Hazlitt. Jim Hazlitt, former Saints coach, 2000 AP coach of the year. Somehow, someway, you're able to find that guy who hasn't head coached a team since the 2008 season with the St. Louis Rams. He's been around the block a time or two. In fact, he was with the Tennessee Titans for a year under Mike Vrabel as an inside linebackers coach. Jumped around a lot. Was part of those Cincinnati Bengals teams that were incredibly, incredibly bad. The Washington Redskins, he was a part of them before they were the commanders now. There's something to be said about the fact that you have somebody like a Jim Hazlitt Back as a head coach for the first time, the last time he coached was in 2008 as a head football coach as an interim for the then St. Louis Rams, which also just feels weird to say. This was back in 2008, was 2-10. and 10. But I'm hoping Jim Hazlitt's record can be a lot better than it is on the whole because I absolutely enjoyed watching some of his stuff back in the day because, again, that was the guy. That was my guy that I grew up watching a good bit of. So I'm hopeful we see Jim Hazlitt get it done in the USFL. We'll be pulling for him in the XFL in 2023. Excuse me. The USFL is tonight, and this will be a lot of fun, especially tomorrow when the Breakers square off on Easter Sunday. We'll be back after this right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. This is Under the Dome with CD. We got Cam Rogers, host of the Locking In podcast, coming up next to talk about the latest going on in the world of golf, especially coming off of a thrilling Masters. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. And it's getting that much closer to summertime. Every single day we get that much closer to it. And one of the unofficial starts of summer, at least to me, is Hangout Music Fest in Gulf Shores. It's finally coming back. Thanks a lot, COVID, for kind of knocking out the last couple of years. But it's returning this summer to Gulf Shores, Alabama, and we want you to go out there. And that's, of course, the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. We've got your tickets to an epic weekend of music, and you would score those VIP passes by becoming a member of the Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. So don't you dare miss the return of Hangout Music Fest featuring Post Malone, Halsey, Megan Thee Stallion, and so many more artists. You're going to want to be a part of this May 20th through the 22nd in Gulf Shores. You can win VIP passes from the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Can't wait for that. Can't wait for just the start of summer in general. It's early spring. Definitely starting to warm up a little bit here in Southwest Louisiana. But we just had the Masters kind of come and go, and it was an entertaining one to say the least from what we saw with Tiger Woods for the first couple days. And then we have a thrilling finish with Scotty Scheffer holding off Rory McIlroy, who was a man on fire on the final day of the tournament. And to talk about that and so much more, got to bring on good friend of the program, Cam Rogers, host of the Lock It In podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. Cam, how you been, man? 
What's going on, CD? Great to be with you, sir. Major championship season is here. Another sign of warmer weather and summertime. It, it's so great to have that officially back and better than ever. And, you know, I was just blown away by so many things. I was impressed, number one, by Rory McIlroy. And we'll kind of start there. Rory, yep. for a good while in that tournament, looked bad where he, he at a certain point I think on Friday he was in danger of not even making the cut and somehow some way he puts together an eight under on his final day and one of the most impressive shots out the bunker on the final hole definitely made that weekend a little bit more stressful for one Scotty Scheffler yeah absolutely and look this has been a pattern for Rory McIlroy for the last few majors slow starts barely making the cut, and then going ahead and making a charge on the weekend, fired a 71 in round three and a 64 in round four, certainly put a little bit of pressure on Scotty Scheffler, but really the fact that he four-putted 18, Scotty did, that's why you have that three-stroke margin at the end of the leaderboard and after it was all said and done, but really Scotty Scheffler was comfortably ahead even after Rory McIlroy posted that final round number. And listen, like there's something going on with McElroy, as far as these early starts are concerned, where he's just not starting right. Like, he has no momentum whatsoever, and then he finds fire on the weekend, and then he gets, like, a backdoor top-ten finish, but yet never really, quote-unquote, contends, or certainly isn't in the lead on a Saturday or Sunday. And I think the Masters has that mental aspect as well. He's trying to chase that career grand slam, so he's putting a lot of pressure on himself. It has nothing to do with his game. His game is totally fine, and he's racking up top tens left and right at the majors, but you have to go back to 2014 since the last time Rory McIlroy actually won a major championship, which is pretty wild to say. I was a sophomore in college to date myself, so you know he's going to have to figure out these slow starts if he actually wants to put another trophy on the mantle. It's been wild to see how quickly Rory McIlroy's kind of momentum has been stalled. And when you think about guys like Scheffler, the young pups, the guys that are kind of following the suit of what we've seen from a guy like, you know, Rory McIlroy, even Will Zalatoris, who you mentioned was a big part of last year's festivities, had a great performance this year, tied for sixth. But we'll, we'll kind of flip over. We'll save Scotty Scheffler and some of the other more notable names that were towards the top of the list for a little bit later. I want to get to your guy, Tiger Woods. And he looked great in the first two rounds. Give him credit where credit is due. He did a fantastic job of keeping himself above the cut line, above the limit, especially after you think about all that he's been through over the last year, being able to play in the Masters, number one, a feat in and of itself. Number two, you make it to the Saturday and Sunday. Just something happened along the way to where Tiger Woods, his final plus 13, not necessarily a great look for the big cat. It makes you wonder, how much more does Tiger have left in the tank? Does he start considering that father time it could kind of pass him up before long? Yeah, first of all, I think perspective matters here. Forget the stats, forget the scores. This was a victory for Tiger Woods, at least in my opinion, the sheer fact that he showed up to Augusta National and completed 72 holes of golf on a very difficult-to-walk golf course is pretty remarkable, by the way, 14 months removed from nearly getting his leg amputated. So this was really just an important first step for Tiger. Yeah, he was talking about in his press conference 
I think I can win the Masters and what have you, but nobody really thought in the back of their mind that he was actually going to win the Masters that particular week. I mean, there was so much going against him, and honestly, it'd be an insult to the rest of the PGA Tour and the talent pool that we have these days with McElroy and Scheffler and Cam Smith and Justin Thomas, right? They were just in too good of form to really not win or not be in contention as compared to Tiger Woods, who is coming in with zero form and unfortunately kind of a limp right now. And so he's dealing with that and what have you. But again, step back for a second. He made the cut. He beat out the following players, Jordan Spieth, Brooks Kepka, Daniel Berger, Xander Shoffley, Adam Scott, and I think he's going to take away a lot of positives from this week. I know Tiger is not a big moral victory guy, and that's not surprising considering how elite he is as an athlete. But, you know, he certainly in the back of his mind must be feeling somewhat positive getting out of this tournament without having to withdraw or anything like that, no real apparent setbacks or anything along those lines. And I'm sure he's still in a ice bath as we speak, going back to Sunday, really, because that was a lot of walking, a lot of major championship golf for him. And then as far as the future is concerned, listen, it's really hard to say. I mean, he's 46 years old, right? And he, I think, got inspired by Phil Mickelson winning the PGA Championship at the age of 50, right? So there is still time for Tiger Woods to catch Jack Nicholas. Will it happen? I'm not entirely sure yet. We'll see how this year goes. This is going to be a big test for him for the future of his career, right? This particular year, how will he manage Southern Hills at the PGA Championship next month if he does does play? Uh, the U.S. Open in June at Brookline, if he does play that, and, of course, the Open Championship there at St. Andrews, a tournament, a course that he has won at uh, two times in his career. He has confirmed he'll be there. So this is a very important test here for him uh, this major championship season. Talk right now with Cam Rogers, host of the Lock It In podcast as part of the Believe Podcast Network. And, of course, I think we need to flip it over to Scotty Scheffler. It's been the year of Scheffler. The former Texas Longhorn has been just getting it done on all fronts. And it's been impressive to see just over the last few months, dating back to what happened with the you know, the Phoenix Open. He wins that, the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Then he winds up pulling out a fantastic performance with a 10-under, three-strokes victory over Rory McIlroy in the Masters Tournament. Didn't have to worry about a playoff like he did in the Phoenix Open, but his yep. first major championship at the very young age of 25, it feels like the sky's the limit for somebody like him. He could be one of those next big names in the world of golf. 100%. Scotty Scheffler, eight weeks ago, zero wins in 70 PGA Tour starts. $8.7 million in career earnings. Scotty Scheffler, as we speak today, four wins in 76 career PGA Tour starts, $17.6 million in career earnings, the number one player in the world, and a Masters champion. Pretty big stuff. Quite a revelation for him. We haven't seen a run like this, four wins and six starts, since Jason Day did it back in 2015, and he was the number one player in the world at the time. And listen, Scotty was showing signs even last year as far as being a big game hunter, right? Showing up at the major championships. He had three top tens in the four majors last year. He was in the finals for the WGC match play, which is a big time, uh, big time tournament on the PGA Tour. And so, you know, you started to understand that this guy can rise to the occasion, show up in the bright lights, and even in the face of adversity, not crumble at all. He can grind out. Uh, pretty well. And to 
have that major championship type of build, you need to have a balanced game. And that's what Scotty Scheffler has. If his iron game is off, he can save it with his short game. If his driver is off, he can save it, uh, save it with his putter, right? So, you know, he has yep. that ability to lean on those specific traits and obviously uh, go ahead and win tournaments, especially a major championship. So he is certainly the favorite for the PGA Championship next month. And watch for this guy. He's going to get multiple green jackets, multiple major championships. And I can't wait to see what he does in the not-too-distant future. Scotty Sheffield is going to be a lot of fun to kind of see how he turns out. But a guy that I thought maybe could have been a lot better performance coming out of the Masters, Justin Thomas, Shane Lowry was a distant third from one Scotty Scheffler, Dustin Johnson, the list goes on and on. Of all the guys that felt like they could have had potential, just weren't able to overcome the course. How surprised were you to see some of the names that kind of missed the cut? I think yeah, there was a handful of names that I was surprised at what I saw did yeah. not make the cut for the tournament, namely Sam Burns, a former LSU Tiger. You've got that. You've got Jordan Spieth. He didn't even make the cut. I was, I was surprised with some of those names. Yeah, you know, Jordan Spieth was coming in with some pretty wonky form. He, like, was really good ball striking the tournament before, but really bad with his putter historically. So you thought maybe the putter would come back to baseline and he'd play well at the Masters. That didn't work out. Spieth has a lot of swing mechanics mechanics to work out right now. He's spraying it off the tee, which is not going to be great at Augusta National if you're hitting it into the woods. And Brooks Kepka, that was a surprise to me. He was coming in with pretty decent form, has an amazing Masters resume, except for that miscut last year, and he was really like 65% healthy when he showed up to Augusta last year. So for Brooks to miss the cut, it was a little bit bizarre. I will say conditions were very difficult within the first two rounds. I don't know if you saw CD, but like the Georgia Pines were whipping because it was so windy in the first two rounds. And so for guys that are used to pretty scorable conditions at Augusta National, they had to sort of adapt and kind of gauge what exactly their yardage is with like a pitching wedge or nine iron completely differently than typical scoring conditions at Augusta National. So for Brooks Kepka, he obviously was not able to adjust. That was pretty surprising to me. Sam Burns, I'll give him some credit here. You know, it was his first time at the Masters. And having won three times in his career, which is pretty crazy, three wins, and it's the first time at the Masters, but that's how the calendar sort of shook out on the PGA Tour, especially during the COVID year. But for Sam, you know, 75-74, not too bad. I think he's a guy that will compete at major championships going forward. So, you know, I think the biggest surprise to me is Brooks Kepka, another name we didn't talk about, Bryson DeChambeau. It's now been reported that he is going to get surgery on that bruised wrist of his so we'll see when he returns to the PGA Tour. But it was clear to me last week that he was not completely healthy at the Masters. Definitely didn't look like it at certain points, Cam. i got a couple more questions before I let you go. Talk right now. Cam Rogers, host of Lock It In, part of the Believe Podcast Network. And we brought up Phil Mickelson earlier. What do you think his future is in the PGA? Will he strictly stick with the Dubai tours to make a lot more money? Because obviously he's got a little bit of a addiction, if you will, and he's been having to deal with that, so I think it's safe to say, to me, he could be making a lot more money over with that Dubai Super PGA League they're trying to put together over there. Yeah, Phil Mickelson is a curious case right now. Needless to say, there were reports out there that Augusta National leadership gave him a wink-wink, nudge-nudge, not to show up to the Masters. Head of Augusta, Frank Ridley, said that, uh, well, it was actually Phil who 
texted me and said I wasn't coming to the Masters. Who really knows? I think, honestly, he wanted to play. The guy just won a major championship a year ago. I think he would want to go for another one at the Masters. But it's very possible that his PR team, maybe even his wife, are very much in his ear right now saying, listen, you need to let the dust settle a little bit here and, you know, return to the PGA Tour at another point. Listen, he's got to defend his title next month at the PGA Championship, you would think, right? So we'll see about that. And then as far as the Saudi-backed golf league is concerned, it looks like it's a full go. Uh, some new names are being thrown out there. Bubba Watson, Ian Poulter, Lee Westwood have been linked to this golf tour. I really don't know if that's going to move the needle. Like Lee Westwood, Ian Poulter, Bubba Watson, these guys aren't exactly winning on the PGA Tour right now. So maybe they're just kind of cashing out instead. For Phil Mickelson, I still think he has an ability to win on the PGA Tour. But he has to, I would think, do some soul-searching here. And, of course, he has been the last few weeks as far as his recent comments are concerned, right, talking about the Saudi-backed golf league and talking about the Saudi government and essentially equating what the Saudi government does to its citizens to him wanting changes to the PGA Tour. It was not a good look whatsoever. And so he's probably going to have to get together with commissioner of the PGA Tour and sort of figure out, hey, listen, um, I apologize for what I said. I want to continue to stay on the tour and what have you. I don't see him going to the Super Golf League, but if he does, I mean, I would be stunned. I think the golf world would be stunned. I think Tiger Woods would be stunned to see that. So this is a big-time story to track here, and we have a month until the PGA Championship, so we may have our answer pretty darn soon about what he's going to do. All right, I got about 30 seconds left here, Cam, and I think we need to get your thoughts on this. I know it's about a month away, the PGA Championship. Who's the big front runner that I think people would love to throw down some money on, maybe on some future bets? Throw down a little, a couple dollars here or there. Yeah, go ahead and look at Colin Morikawa. He's been absolutely electric ball striking. He strikes it off the tee. The only question with him is his putter, but he can get hot with that when he wants to. Top fives in every single major championship start. He is built for major championships. Keep an eye on Colin Morikawa. I would throw some cash on him. Cam, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, man. Thank you, man. Take care. All right, that was Cam Rogers. Appreciate him joining the program, talking some golf right after the Masters. And we'll flip it over, talk some New Orleans Saints with Kyle T. Mosley. We're two weeks out from the NFL draft getting underway and trust me, we got a lot to talk about. Are the Saints going to trade for a quarterback? Are they going to draft a quarterback in this year's draft? And so much more right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.
And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and a 104.1 Lake Charles. Hopefully you're having a fantastic Saturday. Keeping the ball rolling. Got one more guest. We've been going a little back-to-back like it's Jordan in 96 and 97. It will wrap up our kind of kind of tour around the world of sports on this Saturday with a look at the New Orleans Saints. And I'm absolutely thrilled to have on our next guest aboard the game hotline and that is Kyle T. Mosley, the head writer for Saints News Network, which is part of Sports Illustrated. And we got a lot of ground to cover here. Kyle, first off, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, Clint. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. It's a nice, you know, mid-April afternoon. It's always great to have you on. And we're a couple weeks out from the NFL draft, which is kind of where this whole conversation starts. Because the New Orleans Saints last week, decided to drop a mini bombshell of sorts going ahead and getting a big trade going with the Philadelphia Eagles and winding up with the number 16 and number 18 pick in this year's draft. What was your initial reaction to that? And how much did that change your outlook on how this draft could be for the Saints? Well, yeah, I mean, it looks as though Mickey Loomis, Dennis Allen, those guys are being aggressive. This whole offseason, they've really been aggressive. I know at the start of free agency, people were kind of questioning exactly what the Saints' motives were. But if you examine how they pursued Deshaun Watson and how aggressive they were uh, in their pursuit with uh, even Gail Benson being a part of the recruiting efforts, it was uh, a sign that this Saints team doesn't believe that it's about uh, – rebuilding. It's about just reloading with the talent that is already on board and how they can enhance it and be able to still be in position to be contenders in the NFC South as well as the whole NFL. So I I like the aggressiveness. I like the fact that if you have two first-round draft choices and somebody, a couple people were like, Oh, well, the Saints are going to on. They're just going to package it and possibly move up with, let's say, the Giants or the Jets or somebody to that nature, right? I don't know if it's going to be beneficial for them to do so. We're talking still, we, we, we have uh, a couple guys on the roster that are aging, some key players uh, like Cam Jordan and those guys. So it may be beneficial for the New Orleans Saints after losing Armstead and uh, Marcus Williams and uh, people to that nature to kind of stay pat. See what you can be able to pick up in the first round, two guys uh, that could possibly be cornerstone uh, players like a wide receiver or offensive lineman or an edge rusher, someone that you could be able to count on in the future. So, I like what they're doing. I like how Mickey Loomis is positioning themselves. And they're sitting in two spots that you have to believe the New Orleans Saints can be able to really use and uh, find some good talent after certain uh, other teams are going to possibly make a run and make some reaches as well. I'd agree with you. I think the fact that you are going towards this direction and getting a really good place to have two first-round picks pretty much back-to-back, and if you want to get some good players, I think this is the perfect opportunity to do so because you don't have to go too high or too low because I think around that time is whenever you hit that run of players that I think the Saints need to focus in on and key in on. 
namely wide receiver and offensive tackle. That's kind of where my big mantra has been. Where do you kind of lie in all of that, and how do you see the Saints maybe using those two picks if, of course, they do keep them? We'll save that conversation of what happens if they do kind of decide to do what you said, maybe a little bit of trade package for the next question. Yeah, I, I don't like the trade package deal, but I do like what you, how you're positioning it as well, Clint. Uh, let's say an offensive tackle, uh, a guy like Pennington, uh, I mean Penning, and uh, then you have somebody like Jamison Williams out of Alabama, which would be a great pick in, in my estimation because he doesn't immediately have to come in and start the first few weeks of the season. Uh, coming off of the ALC, ACL uh, injury, um, then he could be able to have some time to kind of get himself acclimated to the NFL, get himself up to speed by mid-season if he's ready to be introduced into the lineup. He'll be a great addition because Jameis Winston needs a guy, a couple of guys, who could be able to take that top edge off of a defense and throw the ball to, you know? And a lot of people, if you look at Jameis's talent and his ability, he did it uh, with Deontay Harris a few times last season, right? Um, and he also did it with Marquez uh, Callaway. So he has that big downfield potential to, to be able to find and locate the receiver. So let's accentuate that with somebody like a, a Williamson uh, um, and also somebody like, uh, let's say, what's that kid from uh, USC, Drake London, right? So if we can get somebody that he could be able to use, and Drake London is, man, look at his size and his ability. That, that's somebody that we could be able to say, all right, cool. Just in case something doesn't go quite right in the next couple of years with uh, Michael Thomas, Drake London could possibly be that Michael Thomas-esque type of receiver for the New Orleans Saints. So uh, I, I like that part. And we do need to find somebody to replace Teron Armstead. I don't care what people say. James Hurst is a great um, backup, <laughs> contingency guy. Uh full-time starter, I don't know if he could be a full-time starter for the entire couple of years. Um, maybe this season, and he did a great job. Man, I'm not besmirching his name, but Trevor Penning is a guy that has quick feet. He's nasty. He's explosive. He knows how to use his hands, and you know, you have to really just think being at his size and level and what he's been able to do in northern Iowa, you have to be able to like that pick as well. Talk right now with Kyle T. Mosley, part of the Saints News Network, part of Sports Illustrated. And, you know, we talk about everything going on with the Saints and those two draft picks, kind of the, the crux of the entire conversation of the Saints over the last month or so, or the last two weeks, I should say, involving this. But I think everybody's been talking about it ever since free agency began, before Jameis Winston was even signed, before the whole Deshaun Watson sweepstakes was, are the Saints going to draft a quarterback in this year's draft after they seemingly forfeited that pick in day three to get a guy like Ian Book in the spot that they did? Now we look at what they're going to wind up doing with those picks, and there's been reports coming out from Jordan Schultz 
of the four-letter network, he brought up the fact that potentially the Saints could package those two deals to go up and go get somebody Mike like Malik Willis. How much have you heard that lately, and how much are you trying to just speak that out of existence? Because I'm honestly getting tired of the whole Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, Matt Corral hype train. The Saints just signed a quarterback. They've got three, if not four, if you count Taysom Hill as the in-case-emergency break glass. Why in the world do you need another QB to fill those ranks? Yeah, I don't know. Well, I I can say it like this, Clint. National media usually has a different perspective on the New Orleans Saints, right? And in all fairness to them as well as what we do, I think when you look at you have Jameis Winston, you have a a really quality backup in Andy Dalton, then you have Taysom Hill in Kesa, right? But you have to talk about grooming the young kid from Notre Dame, right? And you have to be able to consider that and take that into effect. I don't know if Malik, nor I'm not too certain if Pickett really fits the profile for working well with with, uh, with the offensive scheme that the New Orleans Saints are going to employ. You, you follow so yeah. Pete Carmichael may have a different viewpoint of what he wants in a quarterback. And I, I have to applaud the things. They've been pretty quiet about how they view the offense, right? Uh, they really haven't said much there um, other than Mickey Loomis said that he is looking at the wide receiver position, right? And usually when uh, Mr. Loomis speaks those type of words that really weighs a lot and it really takes shape in the the draft process. So I I think if the Saints decide to package both both of their deals and move up, it's because somebody within that front office really strongly feels that that player, whoever the player is, can be an immediate starter on the team. If you sit at both of those spots, somebody could possibly fall to your your way, the best positions uh, available for the New Orleans Saints, like you said, is to be able to have a wide receiver and offensive lineman. Uh, also, you may have uh, somebody to fall like a great edge rusher. You know, so and offensive linemen are kind of uh, plentiful in this particular draft, but you need to have somebody who can be able to get there and be able to, under a rookie contract, stay with the Saints for another three, four years and hopefully fifth-year option, right? That if you get them in the first round, you have a quality person. And the best quality person, in my opinion, is right now Trevor Penning. I would love to see somebody like that in that number. And while we're talking on the quarterback front, Kyle, I think we need to look at Jameis Winston. You bring up the fact that they've been kind of mum on how they want to use the quarterback in this system. How much confidence do you think they have in Jameis Winston based off of the relatively small sample size he had before the injury bug kind of caught him up and we wound up seeing an almost veritable carousel of quarterbacks during the latter half of that season 
How much confidence do you think they have in Jameis Winston with everything that he had to deal with last season and how he's looking post-injury? Well, that's the million-dollar question, right? Um, The pursuit of Deshaun Watson was telling. I don't know if it was that they weren't confident in Jameis or that they got caught up in the the hunt, (laughs) so to speak. Uh, of having someone of Deshaun Watson's talent and ability. Younger guy, hasn't been injured as much. He's had some nicks and bruises while at Houston, but nothing significant, right? And you have a quarterback who has a significant injury with his left knee. That played a lot into their decision to pursue Watson. But like Jameis said, he had to have some really serious conversations with the New Orleans Saints because he did feel like there was no confidence in his ability, right? And I think all of all in all, these guys have probably worked through that situation. Now, Jameis has a two-year contract. Andy Dalton has a uh, contract with the Saints. You have guys who have veteran ability to be able to come in and help the New Orleans Saints offense out. I always liked Big Red, uh, Andy Dalton. So uh, I don't know if it was a lack of confidence in Jameis, the quarterback, because he proved, you know, notching a 5-2 and two record with the Saints last season before that horse-collar tackle by Devin White, that he was on the right track. Was it smooth going? Those first seven games, no, because I think they were still kind of feeling their way out. I think Sean Payton was kind of filling out his quarterback, and Jameis Winston was, you know, trying to acclimate himself to the offense. But, Clint, you have to say, you know, let's put this behind us. Now let's move forward. We can't do anything about what happened last season. All we have right now is today and in the future that we could be able to work on. And I think right now building that trust back and working with Pete Carmichael and understanding the system that he's been familiar with the past three seasons now is going to be more for Jameis going forward and the team going forward than what or if they do or don't have confidence in his ability. You know, does that make sense? No, no, it makes perfect sense, Kyle. And one more before I let you go. We, we talk about more of the quarterback and what they need to do in the first round, but outside of that, what are some focus points that the Saints are going to need to zero in on over the next, let's say, two weeks or so leading into the draft and what they need to focus in on with guys they're going to get in those day two and day three picks, or could they wind up trading those some of those day threes and move up in the draft and kind of in their weekend a little early? Yeah, um, that's a good question. You know, they've always been very active, especially day twos, and finding ways to move up into certain spots, uh, finding players that they really like and key in on. There's some really good, talented, uh, young offensive guards, and there's a lineman uh, um, that is really good that could possibly be available in case they don't go for a lineman in the first round. 
But I think also you got to look at the linebacker position, the tight end position. I know we signed uh, P.J., uh, but I, I really think that the Saints need somebody who could be a dynamic force at the tight end position. I love the kid from Dayton. Troutman was great. I think he had some learning pains, <laughs> made some mistakes. But all in all, uh, that's a growth process, being a rookie, right? Um, you still need to have somebody to compliment him. I know uh, the Saints still need a safety out there. There's a young kid that reminds me so much of Marcus uh, Williams out of Florida A&M University because, you know, I also cover HBCU. Yep. Uh, his name is our, our Marquis Bell, and uh, he's a, a tremendous find out there, and he may fit the Saints uh, profile. So there are some good talent out there that's coming from lower uh, lower positions and lower schools who you may not list them as high names on the list uh, of these draft boards, but I think New Orleans and the way Jeff Ireland has done the scouting over the years, they're going to find some good talent, and hopefully they'll be able to find some of those um, guys that they can position depth-wise to help the, the agent front-line guys. Kyle, appreciate you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, brother. Same to you, Clint. Take care. All right. That was Kyle T. Mosley, part of the Sports Illustrated Network, the managing editor for the Saints News Network part of SI. Before we take a quick timeout, Good Friday's come and gone. I know everybody is probably full of some great crawfish, but if you want some of the best boiled crawfish, make sure you go to the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles website and join the clubhouse today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score a $50 gift certificate to Richard's Seafood Patio. And trust me, we all know I've been out on the road. I've been wanting, well, I've been craving some crawfish. And if you haven't had any crawfish in your life yet, what are you waiting for? This is the perfect time. The prices, they're still a little high, but they're not nearly as high as they used to be. And a $50 gift certificate could go a long way towards you having some fantastic boiled crawfish. Or if you're not necessarily a huge crawfish guy, maybe you're more like me, a boiled shrimp guy, fried and grilled seafood, burger, steaks. And I'm getting hungry just saying, po' boys, it's almost noon, and I am absolutely craving some fantastic food. And Restart Seafood Patio is one place you need to go check out. You can check them out right now and enter today for a chance to score a $50 gift certificate in the clubhouse to Restart Seafood Patio. Got one final take. I'll try and hold my hunger pangs for a little bit more. And I got one final take to get you out of here and enjoy the rest of your weekend. But we'll be back after this right here on the game. 103.7 Live yet and 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. getting out of here on one final take and we're going to go to the baseball front here because the other night I got so frustrated. Technically this was in the afternoon but I was so frustrated that the MLB continues 
and I mean continues to shoot itself in the foot again and again. And I understand this is literally within the first week of the MLB season and we see stuff like this go down. I am still very heated about what happened with the Los Angeles Dodgers contest where Clayton Kershaw had a perfect game going. And I understand, again, it's the beginning of the year. It's his first couple starts back from injury. It was probably planned for him to go a certain length, even if he had the best game possible. And this was literally the best game you could have. But at the end of the day, you still got to be frustrated as a fan, even if you're not a Dodgers fan, even if you, and mind you, I am far from a Dodgers fan, but when it comes to a regular season perfect game opportunity, I don't care if it's game one, game 162, game 69, I want to see this thing go all the way through. I want to see how far he can go. I guarantee you, we talk about the baseball boomers. Those people would absolutely have hated to see what happened yesterday afternoon with when the Dodgers pulled Clayton Kershaw during a perfect game opportunity. They had him give up that opportunity to have a perfect game. And I understand, yes, it's a weekend of the season. But it's completely unacceptable that the MLB, having a golden moment like that, and you've got the manager of the Dodgers just saying, hey, I'm going to go ahead and pull him whenever I have an opportunity to, one, win a ball game, and number two, do something that hasn't been done in a good while, and that's to get a bleeping perfect game, the first one of the season, and it's Clayton Kershaw, and you're not going to let him do what he does best, it's mind-boggling to me, and it continues to be one of the most shocking parts of this young MLB season that was delayed. Thank God we have it, but goodness gracious, great balls of fire. When are we going to get some actual entertainment? Seeing things like that makes me unentertained. Makes me the exact opposite of entertained. And yes, you can call me spoiled, entitled, whatever. I want to see more of that in terms of perfect games actually happening. Because I guarantee you, the old school baseball fan, and I don't agree with them a whole hell of a lot, but they would agree with me on this final take. If you have a perfect game opportunity heading into the eighth inning, you freaking finish that game out. I don't care if you have to risk a Tommy John. You finish that damn game out. I, it boggles my mind that the MLB, in their infinite wisdom, and these managers, in their infinite wisdom, want to go ahead and pull one of the greatest pitchers of the modern era, of the last 10 years, in a, yes, relatively meaningless game, but not let him hit another perfect game to add to his already Hall of Fame resume. It is mind-boggling to me. Appreciate everybody for listening into the program. We got LSU baseball Chris Blair and crew are going to tee it up over in Arkansas, the series finale. Have a happy Easter. Be back with you next Saturday, and I cannot wait to unveil my mock draft. I only do one a year, so you make sure to listen in, and don't you dare miss a single moment of Under the Dome with CD next Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. Until next time, I'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.